Today's conversation starts with Prince and ends with Hawaii. And in between those two things, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of laughs, too. This one is a blast. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Emperors, the podcast. Check this out. song so much i forgot we're not playing the whole thing not not yet i got a little excited and uh let it keep going because it's so beautiful and so mesmerizing and uh well i let it go on a little too long but what are you gonna do here we are okay so back to business that is the music of my guest today on the program heather lynn horton let me tell you a little bit about heather lynn horton The Hawaii-born, Wisconsin-raised Heather Lynn Horton has a lot of stories to tell, and because she's a born storyteller, she does so with the perfect blend of humor, hijinks, and self-deprecation. I'm going to let her tell you those stories, but in the meantime, I'll offer this quick version of who she is. Let's cut straight to the post-college years. After college, she hit Minneapolis in search of the mythical prince, and then landed in Chicago where she met her real-life prince, singer-songwriter Michael McDermott. She plays fiddle and she sings backup in McDermott's band, and the two also had a side project called The Westies, which were awesome. Her fabulous first solo album, Don't Mess With Mrs. Murphy, came out in 2018, and though it took almost six years for the follow-up, Get Me to the Nunnery, to hit shelves, it was well worth the wait. A moving and stirring song cycle that brings to mind Beth Orton, Sinead Lohan, and A Thousand Kisses era Patty Griffin, Get Me to the Nunnery is redolent with strength vulnerability, humor, and darkness. On this album, Horton's phrasing is emotionally precise, and each syllable lands with finesse and grace. The fact is, Get Me to the Nunnery is a top-to-bottom perfect album, and this conversation is so much fun. Heather's a character. You're going to love her. So here we go. Me and Heather Lynn Horton. By the way, this conversation, we didn't know we were going to have it. I think we were exchanging emails. We were thinking about it. Is this day going to work? How about then? 
And then uh, there was some confusion. I think I screwed something up. And then it was like, hey, we can do it now. Are you around in seven minutes? And I was like, of course I'm around in seven minutes. And she was too. I think she'd been on a run. And then she cut it short or she just finished. What was I doing? I was watching Mr. Mr. videos and drinking a smoothie. I'm not that busy. That's the truth of what's going on here. Heather's busy. She's in a band. She has a solo album. She's a mom. And what am I doing? I'm trying to figure out if Kyria Laison is one word or is it two? I still don't really know. But what I do know is this conversation is awesome. Can't wait for you to meet her. Here we go. Me and Heather Lynn Horton having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Esposo. Well, Michael's my tech guy. Michael is a good guy to have as a tech guy. I, I said, thank God for you, says you. <laughs> he seems like a reliable sort. He has, yeah, surprisingly so to most people, he is the most reliable source. So I don't know, like I've zoomed probably a hundred times, but I don't do it without him. And I don't know how to do it. And I didn't know we were doing this. I just came off this from off the street, sweating to the eighties. <laughs> and he, and I, he's like, well, I think it's happening. At, it's happening. It's one thirty. Uh, one thirty. Is that okay? And that was 10 minutes ago. I go, okay. As long as it's not zoom. He's like, oh no, it's not zoom. <laughs> it's just no. look at us zooming. <laughs> we're zooming. What does it mean to be sweating to the 80s in the streets? Sweating to the oldies means, you know, like a person of a certain age says sweating to the oldies, sweating to the 80s. Like, I think it's more of like a a Livy Newton-John thing, like, you know, like the aerobics and you're sweating to the 80s tunes. So like you're like working out. It's 100 degrees outside. Where are you? I am in Berkeley, California. So, oh, that's right. Right, sit up a little straighter and. Well, no, you're professor. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, although today, uh, yeah, later today I will be. Right now, I'm just a guy. Your record is fabulous. Your work is amazing, and um, I got into you back in 2012 for the first album. Oh, okay. Right. Postcard Saturdays. I love that record. And then the follow-up was a stone cold killer. And but this might be my favorite. I appreciate that. I love both of those records, but this one was a little more into the tissue. Yeah, it went, I just went a little, I had permission to go a little deeper, I think. Um, into kind of the same places, you know, types of places that I did in the last record. The f- the first record you spoke of, Postcards, they were all literal postcards and letters to Michael when we were not really together. And so that, that just became an album 
And he thought I was the greatest writer in the world because all the songs were about him. <laughs> That's a joke. It's like, these are great songs. <laughs> yeah, I love your subject material. <laughs> like we can play these all year. But um, but I appreciate that. I didn't know that you were um, that you had heard any of my previous uh, material till today. So that it's helpful that I'm not just swimming and trying to explain myself. What you said is interesting. You said you had permission to go deeper. Is that permission you gave yourself? Yeah, I think um, I think I probably would have still because I have nothing to lose. I'm a housewife who plays violin for her husband on the road and does his background vocals. So I don't have anything. Um, I'm not really out trying to prove anything. I don't even know what I was maybe trying to prove in my 20s, chasing my tail, not knowing where I was going. But I always was a truthful writer. and. Um, you know, chasing the vagaries of some pop or folk or what, what, whatever genre, chasing those vagaries of, of surface um, topics always left me flat, you know, maybe almost close. Like I would giggle. It would be an inside joke to me. Like I know what I'm saying, which I love doing too, but, um, but coming up through school, you know, or school on the street, um, I was always fascinating with was fascinated with what you teach. I was just like I salivated for symbolism and allegory and metaphor. I just loved playing with words, whether it was in you know poems, you know little juvenile poems or or poems that were trying to get secrets out of me, and then kind of writing in code. So I. I did that a lot, but now I think um, this last record, I didn't, the less I do it, the happier I am. And the more reaction I get from the four people who've heard my music, but most of all, like people who review my music, um, all make me feel like I'm a genius. So I'm, I'm just going with that. But um, while no one knows anything about me, except I'm Michael's wife. I'm very proud of that. I'm proud to be his friend, I guess, more than anything. I have been interviewing musicians since I was 15 years old. I'm 53 now. Nobody has ever said what you just said, which is the writing was trying to get secrets out of them. What a beautiful thing to say. Thank you. I would think that that's what everybody's trying to do, really. Any writers getting, because you're really using it as a cathartic source. I know. Any writer I know is like trying to say something. And get it out. And yeah. And girls just have different things to say. Mm. We have, uh, we may have a different perspective, <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, everybody has a different perspective, but um, yeah. My childhood stories, trauma, joys, valiance, uh, um, they're all different than Michael's. But we have a lot of similarities too, with dark and light that have you know, and and music pulled us through. People say music, but more so the actual words, constructed words to say things so that people can hear them. But yeah, I wonder sometimes if when we're writing, like we're not willing to give up those secrets. So sometimes when you write 
it doesn't come easily and other times you're more willing to give the secrets up and that's when it comes easier like the permission so yeah. now now it's just easy now i just i don't the only thing i'm the only reason i'm using any kind of edit chip is to make it more poetic and make it more um challenging to get there for everybody but it's there like you know peeling a, an onion but it's then it's there here it all is and i'm not afraid to explain anything like i may have before to protect the innocent but like i said i've got four people my own family doesn't listen to my own music so what? i mean my own, the family i grew up with doesn't listen to my music so that's a whole nother story that's from the last record alex Yes, I missed you on that. I would have loved to have chatted with you then, but I'm glad we're catching up. But at least you you did grow up in Illinois? No, I was born in Hawaii, adopted by um, a family who was moving back to Wisconsin. And so long, long story short, I was um, my birth mom was like 16 in Honolulu. Her dad was high ranking colonel. And kind of, they needed me off the island. And so my dad that and mom that adopted me were leaving the Navy. And so they were leaving the island. So I was, I was put on like the top, my parents were put on illegally or like sneakily to the top of the waiting list of adopting. And because they were going to Wisconsin. So, so they got me off that island fast so i couldn't um you know make a make any kind of waves over the ocean so um but yeah so i was raised in wisconsin and then spent most of my life in wisconsin and then chased myself to minneapolis i was the second i finished my last final i was in minneapolis to be near prince just to get near him and to claim myself a singer because I was a violinist my whole life, um, hiding the fact that I really wanted to be a singer. So I sang through my violin for 10 years before I moved to, or yeah, 12 years before I moved to Minneapolis. And then, and then I came to Chicago. So it was half my life. I was Wisconsin and now Illinois. With a How deep close did you get to Prince? Pardon? How close did you get to Prince? Pretty close. Really? Uh, yeah, it was. That's a whole. That's a. How much time you get? No, I'm just kidding. You um, got plenty so, of time, Heather. So you know, so I was 11, 11 years old when um, I got uh, the album 1999, and um, it was. <laughs> I wouldn't let my 11 year old. <laughs> listen to that today no I would that's how I base everything on what she's listening to today I'm like well I was listening to Prince but let's talk about those words that are in that song right there so anyway that's a whole nother thing um uh yeah so Prince was like just musically lyrically and in my prepubescent everything was just I was he, I, I mean, he was just in my, my DNA, like, like we had, were related or something so bizarre. And I'm sure, you know, I know a lot of people feel that way about um, their heroes or their mentors or their, 
you know, but I, it was just like, we, I, I belong to him, you know? So I was sneaking up to Minneapolis when I lived in La Crosse, Wisconsin, where I went to college and I'd sneak into bar, his bar up there. And, and then I knew that once I was done with all my school, I was moving there. So I set it all up. I was supposed to be in this band, um, this really cool band. And so it was weird. My first gig playing in like this 15 piece orchestra, I played violin, full strings, full horns, two keys, like eight singers. It was this huge deal, like a nightclub restaurant where, um, like wealthy divorcees and fancy, you know, politicians and sports players and musicians would come through and go to this place. And it's just like twilight zone ish, but all the people who played in this band at some point had played with Prince and, and been fired or whatever for looking at him as the rumors all go. But, but I went there to meet Prince and I was there for about nine months and I had some opportunities in Chicago and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to Chicago. And so the three, three nights before I left, we went out to Prince's club and unbeknownst to me, it all came full fruition, but he'd been coming to the club and people have been coming to the club where I played. They kind of had a finger on me. I was friends with, his keyboard player indirectly and we were at this private party and his people took me aside and asked me for all my, you know, we need your phone number. And I'm like, first I thought I was being pulled aside because I was doing something illegal like drugs. So I, I'm like, I'm not doing any drugs. <laughs> and I come to this little room and I'm like, can I bring my friend? Cause I was scared. You know, I was like 22 and, um, so we went in this room and they, they're like, they wanted my information. They went da, 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 and their boss. And I said, well, who's your boss? And they're like, uh-huh, the little guy. <laughs> it was, it was right, you know, in the next room. And, um, and I said, well, I'm moving in three days. So too bad. So sad. At this point I was already kind of af- afraid because I'd heard so many bad stories, really bad stories it was before the internet. I didn't know what was true, wasn't, but I was scared enough. You know, there were weird things being said and misogynistic things. And I knew someone who was beat up by his half brother and had some lawsuit, you know, again, that she won. And, and it's just, it was lots of weird stuff. And I was right off the back of a truck, you know, from Wisconsin. And, um, and in this weird, beautiful circumstance. So I said, um, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And then I'm like, yeah, you could die. Prince asked me for my phone number. And then they brought me back to the room um, like 10 minutes later. And he wanted me to postpone my move for two weeks. And I said, no, I said, I don't remember saying this, but it was a, commercial at the time that was very popular i i said if your boss wants to get a hold of me he needs to let his fingers do the walking i don't remember saying that but <laughs> i'm carrie and it's just like well, who said you know oh, oh i'm so cool to say that you know like, <laughs> but it was because i was terrified and you know like i'm like 
do I want to end up in the back of a limo with this guy? Yes. And no, like, I'm yeah. like, it was my every, like my fantasy, but I just, yeah. So I, I passed on it and then my tie and then all that happened. And, and you never know. And there are lots of different sides to every story, but I did know the Sinead O'Connor story before that um, from one of her friends. And so I just, I passed and always wondered and always thought there'd be a day where I would get to play with him. That's a very long story. No, I'm it's a great story. Stories. And it's amazing. We're I'm not used to telling it, so I don't ha- it's very No, I love it. And right. we are we are of the same vintage because I know the fingers do the walking reference. It's amazing that was in the holster. That was the one that you went for. <laughs> I don't remember saying it. My friend Carrie, who was like my my bodyguard, and his bodyguard, who brought me in that room. By the way, his name was Morris, and everybody was Morris. Like there was Morris Day, right? And then there was Morris Hayes, who was his keyboard player, and then there was Morris the bodyguard. I was just like, and the boss, the little guy. That's they call him the little guy. Did that sort of, um sort of get the prince out of your system then you went you're like i need to move on to or was it still it did the opposite for a long time i i always thought what the hell i drove off then three days later and i called my friend and from lake city and i what what did i do and she swore i won't swear here but she said yeah you messed up (laughs) you can swear heather you effed up (laughs) and i'm like yeah i did right okay yeah just making sure i don't think you did i know you have i i don't i I don't the so back then what i would have said is that i wasn't ready i hadn't been writing songs i just was kind of singing like in the closet they bring me out to do some songs but i was the violin player with the curly hair that you know i was that girl in the in the you know the band on the end and so, but I came to Chicago and I just kind of sat in my apartment, this very fancy apartment with my very nice boyfriend. And I watched MTV and our 70 inch square TV and there'd be like Prince. And I'd just be like, what the, what did I do? Yeah. But because I just still never, his music just, he was such a genius and just, he's so complex and, um, and so misunderstood for so long. I was just always weirded up by it. I ended up on stage with him again at his concert. I was hand selected out of, I, w- I went with my, uh, a friend of mine who had free tickets and I'm just like, why not? I'll go, you know, I don't go to concerts. I don't go to big concerts. I just don't really go, but I went to the Prince you know, I saw him with 20 people and then I'll go to this to 20,000. And I was on stage with like the, no offense, no other better word than the, than the, you know, the bimbos, us bimbos were up on the stage standing there for the one song or whatever it was. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm up here. Um, you know, in my skirt instead of with my violin you know, I was like, oh my God. Anyway, I regretted it forever. And then when he passed, Michael had to sit me down 
I was in the basement, I remember, and he called me up and he said, Have you want to sit down for this one? And he told me that Prince had died. And I said, Well, now I now everyone will know what a genius he is. Because you know, people be like Prince. <laughs> yeah. Prince. Oh, Prince thinks he's this or that. I'm like, well, now everyone, because when people pass away, then you could say, Oh, what a genius they were, and blah blah. And that's how this record started. It came to be because of the same conversation he and I had about Sinead O'Connor. That's how this whole record started. This one was that um, everyone thinks she's crazy. Everyone thinks that, um, you know, she's a weirdo and that she's ripped up that picture of the Pope because she was crazy and doesn't know any better. But the, the, Truth is that she was like the greatest philosopher and and prophet of our time, in my humble opinion. And that this is like four years ago, I said to him, I go, you know, this poor woman just got crucified for saying the hardest truths of, you know, to help not herself, but to help humanity. And to help other people. And she's just labeled as this crazy witch cuckoo pants. And she's when she dies, in my head, 40 years from now, when she dies, you know, people will be like, why didn't we listen to her? And, you know, all the famous people will come out of the woodwork when they should have come out of the woodwork when she was in such trouble, you know, and suffering. And the only person who seemed to do that that I know is Chris Christopherson. And he's, he's my hero now. But so Sinead, I said, you know, and for her to say those things, it's, it takes 10 times, 10 times as much courage to say what any man, no offense. It's weird saying it's a nice man, but, um, and literate men and, and men with open minds, um, but it's 10 times harder for any girl to say the th same thing as a guy. It's just a fact. And it's, and I'm up for the challenge always. And um, maybe not always she was. And she, she did. She may have saved a lot of lives that people don't even realize. So she had so much to lose too. I mean, she did it at her Zenith of her, you know, artistic power. <clears throat> I mean, and she would say she what didn't have it wasn't to lose that that was like her currency and she spent it wisely. Right, right. And the only person who said what you said when she died was Morrissey. Like Morrissey was saying, you know, like what are you doing talking about her now? Where were you? Like I just got chills because I love Morrissey so much. Oh my gosh! And I didn't know that. Um, yeah. I'll do my own deep dive about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't wait. It's a beautiful thing that he said, where he was. He, yeah. first he, I, I'm so glad now. Yeah. Now yeah. Morse validated me. <laughs> I, I mean, no, but you, I mean, I think I'm not saying anything surprising to you because I'm sure you felt all those things too. And, but for Morris, yeah. F you guys. Really? Yeah. yeah. Some of the people that were coming out then, you know, and Michael would read, you know, I don't have Facebook. So he'd start reading like, oh, and this person is saying this and this and this. I'm like, I, I'm like, Michael, that is exactly, that's exactly what I was talking about back then. This doesn't do her any good or the rest of the people that could have, you know, benefited from her or 
she could have, I mean, I, we still don't know how she died and maybe it was um, an accidental overdose. Maybe it was just her time. Maybe it was just her heart caved in with a broken heart, but maybe if one other, maybe if somebody else had been saying those things, well, she, you know, that had currency, I don't, no one knows who I am. I would be like, hey, she knows. She knows. There's another crazy lady. Um, <laughs> get on your bike. Um, then maybe she'd still be here and helping other people. So it's kind of this, that pot that was when this album that was spawned by her strength was being mastered. We got word that she died. And it was just this weird, like, so she's very much like the spiritual mother of this album. Yeah, definitely. Well, there, there, there are a few mothers in this album, um, but she spawned it. She was the mother of all mothers, but there, yeah, the album is dedicated to, um, to our friend, um, Sarah Farr, whose husband, uh, died of cancer last January. Um, and his name's Lynn. He's a, a very popular, um, also philosopher, poet, um, DJ here in Chicago, who's known worldwide just for his love of love of love and love of life and love of um, the personal human experience, shared experience. Um, so, Sinead O'Connor, Lynn. Ben's wife Sarah and um and my friend Lonnie Walker who was the one who forced me to play guitar so that I could play my songs instead of depending on anybody to come and play guitar for me because that was also hard was that difficult it was hard to find musicians who would yeah show up sober to play with me <laughs> <laughs> How can you tell if they're sober or not? Well, because I was always sober. <laughs> I yeah. never drank doing shows ever, 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 ever. And um, so, yeah, I had a I had a drummer pass out at the last lick of Ocean. I don't know why we're doing Ocean, but <laughs> I was up for any Led Zeppelin challenge. So, and he passed out at the drum kit. I think. John Bonham would be proud, I think. Or at least familiar. Or familiar. Yes, familiar. Familiar. Your record collection sounds, growing up, sounds from Prince to the Smiths to Sinead. Um, it sounds like you had a real a real range of stuff you were listening to. Very much so. I I mean, I grew up, um, my, my family was not musical at all, but the record collection we had was like, Every musical from cabaret to um, chorus line to, I mean, like every, everything, like you name it kind of thing um, to um, Peter, Paul and Mary. And we had Peter, Paul and Mary. And then I remember like, I mean, Mozart was always my guy. And then I remember when my sister got 52nd Street, Billy Joel. And my brother got Sergeant Peppers. And it was all over. My first 45s were Hey Jude and Hound Dog. Good choices. 
they were, it was under the Christmas tree and they were, they were good choices. So I, it was, I couldn't believe that I cried when I got those 45s. Well, for a non-musical family, for you to be playing violin is a very specific thing. So it does. What were, what was the roots of that? Um, well, I've started piano very young because my oldest sister was playing piano, and I would sit down like it before I was four, supposedly, and just play what she was playing by ear, which to me was just cheating and being silly. But um, then. It wasn't my parents. I think it was like neighbors who would see me do that. And they'd be like, um, maybe your daughter should take some piano lessons. So they let me take piano when I was about four and into four or five. And then by the time I was six, uh, somebody figured out that I wasn't reading the music. I had been copying, the, doing the lessons by ear and I didn't even know where middle C was. So Oddly enough, I was <laughs> I was told I had to quit and they we got rid of the piano. So it was very strange because that was the way I was cathartic. I would get my, you know, I had to play. I wanted to make the noise. So somehow I think there was a, a boy that I liked who was going to uh, pick up, do the violin in the class. In fourth grade, they had strings in our school in Madison, Wisconsin, which is an amazing thing. And not all schools offer that, just another thing. But um but yeah, Dominic Labella was playing violin. So I begged my parents and I had like signed a contract with them and you know yeah. promised this and promised all this stuff whole year and then so I did then another year and and then um yeah I was just it was the ugliest instrument to start because it's so ugly to play squeak squeak but once you start making it ring it's you can't ever put it down it's just it is the most beautiful the closest thing to singing from your soul out is anything i can ever imagine so it felt just natural because one of my students plays violin and i said to her the other day i said you know it's it doesn't look like a natural thing, right? It looks, you, you can't even look at the instrument when you're playing. Like, it. Yeah. Oh, right. right. So beautiful. You, I mean, the violin itself. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, and it is, it's so fragile. It's so bizarre. It's this piece of wood. There's so many things that go along with it. It's, it's like the smell of it is, is intoxicating. It's bizarre, like just wood in general, right? So when you put it near your body, I think it's like a, Maybe it's an ancestral thing or like evolutionary thing where, you know, you're with the trees, you're literally hugging a tree. So it's, you just feel kind of close to nature, but it's just so beautiful because it's shiny. So it's almost like a jewel. And most of uh, the bows have like a piece of mother of pearl in it. And it's just, they're beautiful. And when you put them to your body, it is a feeling of like, I have this magical, um, yeah, treasure thing I'm holding. You really do feel that. And um, and yeah, when you the stroking of it, everything has a sensation. There's so many things going on at once. Yeah. So it's ugly for a while. Then as soon as you start making beautiful um sounds, you let it ring, then you're just you're hooked for life. But it's so intimate because like what you're saying, like it's it's an intimate instrument. 
and you can't, you're not looking at it while you're doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yet it seems to be, there's an immediacy to the connection between you and the instrument. It's really, it's quite beautiful. It's a vulnerability for sure. Yeah, That's what it is. It's, um, you know, you think about people who I heard like Phil Collins said he sat behind a drum kit when he was a kid and he went, well, this is it. This is where I need to be. Right. Or you pick up a guitar or you pick up a violin and that's like, that's your thing. Um, That's so cool. I love guitar. I love it so much, but um, I, I was told and I have a faint memory of being given a guitar at four or five, like a little plastic thing from Sears maybe. And I took the guitar and put it under my neck. Whoa. Yeah. And I took like a tinker toy, like a piece of wood or whatever they are. And I started banging on it like this. So that, I like that little memory. Wow. Right. Cause then it makes sense. Like you said, like you're drawn to one thing or another, but, but yeah, I didn't think I could ever play guitar, but guitar is it's instrument instrumental for everything I do. I don't write songs with piano, even though I still play piano by ear all the time. I love piano so much because of the immediacy of the, you just press a key down and you've got a song, but um, the guitar is how I write all of my songs. When you made the toy violin for yourself, did you have the concept of what a violin was or that was just a thing you did? I must, I'm sure I did because like I said, I was brought up more in the classical music and like, you know, I remember seeing like the ballet, like Swan Lake would be on the TV sometimes when Star Trek wasn't. My dad watched Star Trek. <laughs> we weren't watching TV a lot as kids. But so that, I remember that kind of thing, like the classical idea. And then, um, yeah, I'm sure I probably saw an orchestra. I know that later on I saw Itzhak Perlman after maybe my first year of playing. And um, and I remember like in Milwaukee. And I think I was, I think I got, I asked, a, I was invited to ask a question and I think because I never practiced, it's terrible. I have terrible, terrible practice habits. But I asked Itzhak how often he practiced. And he was like, I don't, I'm sure he said 10 hours a day. I don't, I don't know what he said, but whatever it was, was discouraging, I'm sure. <laughs> That's so Perlman. It's so Perlman. <laughs> so Itzhak.
do you ever wonder with your Hawaiian roots, do you find that when you're writing that you are attracted to like water imagery or do you ever go that direction? Interesting question. I, I've never been asked that question. Um, none of these questions actually. Oh, good. And this is my first interview of the record, by the really? way. So not only was I ill-prepared, ill-dressed, still have sweat crested right about to here and look at me i didn't know but you're yeah you look like a sporto cool hipster berkeley professor no you don't look like a professor you don't look like a saint Um, listen this is self-esteem tuesday thank you for the kind comments those are all true um the question about water so and on a daily basis i say to michael when can we move from Orland Park and live on a small body of water or a large body of water in a very small house? And, you know, it's just, I need water. I love water. I, but I don't even think it has anything to do with my Hawaiian, you know, birth or my birth family who still lives all over Hawaii of whom I, I know all my, almost my entire family. Um, but lakes, I grew up on lakes and my best, my soulmate was my grandma, George, who's not blood related. It was my dad's mom, grandma, Jana, grandma, Georgiana. And, um, she had, she, they had a log cabin on Lake Wisconsin. And, um, that's where like, you know, the birch trees and the grass and the poison ivy and the fish and the beavers and the algae and, the sun and the water like glass and the canoes, all of those things. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. So that does it. it, When I go to my happy place or, you know, they, I fake meditate or whatever it's, there are trees and there's, there's water. So maybe not palm trees necessarily, but I I'd take them. I'd take them. You did the opposite thing of what, of what my people do, the Jews we go from the cold to the warm. You went from the warm to the cold. And and I fear the cold. But it doesn't mean that the body of water is, you know, an, a frozen one. Right. The sun can still be rising and setting with, you know, 78 degrees with light humidity. That but sounds I do okay. Love, I do love here. I, and, I, and Arizona is actually my other happy place. So the total. So. There you go. I'm telling you, I'm with you. Dry desert sun. But I only fell in love with that because my grandma's was in Arizona also when she wasn't in Wisconsin. She was a snowbird. So I just follow her where she went. And those were my happy places. I could see you and Michael, you know, setting up shop in Joshua Tree. Well, if you insist. <laughs> Michael is funny, like as adventurous as he was his whole life in a in a roundabout way, like accidental way adventurous, um, he doesn't, I mean, none of us like change. I don't like change. I want my flip phone. I don't want, I don't want technology. This is like, whoa, you know, I don't, but, and he's very open to learning any new technology. He is our tech guy in this house. And he is, I mean, he does the pro tools. He did all, he did. Well, he set up my, he set up my recording in here. And then I just pressed the button 
and did my my vocals. Ready to go. I did all my vocals by myself here, but just in the button, and you could hear it. Even the record, if you really want, if you really want to take this record apart, if you hear a like a, I don't want to do it there because I'll disconnect you probably. But uh, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> like I'll be like to like to stop and and record. Wait, oh no, <laughs> you hear? Oh my gosh, it's a mess. But anyway, he. I'll go back to him being um, not into change, but he's, he, we got this, we live in the house that he grew up in and it was, um, and it, it's in a, a town where people maybe aren't as open-minded as me. I don't know who's going to see this. So I don't want to insult anybody, but um, it's just a very, it's a very conservative and I am not. And I left high school when I was 17 and I never looked back. I went to college, but I went to college to say I did. And I was really just, you know, away from away from my hometown, away from my past, away from that adolescence and just like trying to find like minded people and, and people who are more, you know, eccentric like me or like me. Um or I would find people that I wanted to be like, you know, or just that kind of thing. And so coming back here was kind of like coming back to high school, coming back to a sm even smaller town than I grew up in Madison, you know, was, it was called the Berkeley of the Midwest. Mm -hmm. That's what they called it anyway. So, um, and even that was conservative on the West side, but I, I was always downtown and, um, so we came back to Orland Park and to have our kid be in a good uh, public school system. And here you are. And here I am writing songs about it. When you were in Minneapolis, like the replacements, did they register for you at all? Violent Femmes yeah. in Wisconsin, Pretenders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I stuff? remember playing softball, softball tournaments. Inga Brown brought the Violent Femmes to our hotel room. And um, and I was just like, I'm like, where did you? Yeah, that was a violent films. And I re I remember shooting hoops, um, in the driveway, and the ball got loose, and the, my boombox was cranking it. And why can't I get just? And I knew that there were kids in the neighborhood, and I threw the basketball and the boombox because I didn't want to offend anybody. Anyway, um, and I would never have dared put play Prince, but I was playing Led Zeppelin, the Femmes and Prince and George Winston. Wow. You were all over the map. Oh, oh. And then playing Mozart was my favorite, but playing everything, Bartok, Mozart, Tchaikovsky, Beethoven. But I don't know where the hell, where did this, where were we? Where are we, Heather? Were we, are we, we don't even know. But I do think that George Winston and the Violent Femmes have never been used in the same sentence before. So I think this is a first. No, I do think so. But yeah, I, the <laughs> replacements. Yeah, the replacements and that the things they were they were influencing me. I think truly I was so really embedded in harmony because then that's when Simon and Garfunkel. So about fifth, sixth grade, Simon and Garfunkel. And then it was just over. I mean, I was listening to them my whole life, but I didn't know that's what it was. We got all Simon Garfunkel, Peter Paul Mary, 
everything was about harmonies and everything was about voices. I think, I think in harmony. Mm-hmm. I don't think in melody. My harm, what people think is harmony is often my melody. And if you listen to the record again, you might see that. And in the things that we mixed, you'll see like the voices are a lot more on the same level because that's where I want them. They're all they're all different personality. Like this is an, a perspective and this is a perspective and they're crisscrossing. But um, but the replacements and things like that, I mean, everything's because I listened to everything. I mean, I listened to my, you know, 92 FM. I listened to my Z104. I listened to like pop alternative. I listened to everything and I was obsessed with MTV. So everything influenced me, you know, everything. And that's really the truth for everyone. I don't care what they say. Everything influences you. You don't even know it. What your favorite things are, maybe you write like them or maybe you write the opposite. I don't think I sound like Billy Joel. I don't think I sound like Elton John, but was I, I that, you know, in love with them? Maybe I sound a little bit like Robert Plant. No. But um but yeah, I I think really the things that infused me were were musicals and Peter Paul and Mary because that was the beginning. And then everything else. So lots of different voices, lots of different characters. When you say that you think in harmony, can you explain to the listener like what that means? Because that's a really cool idea. And I want to make sure I understand it too. Okay. Hmm. How do I explain that? So, um, okay. No, I don't have my violin in here. So, um, for instance, in an orchestra, you have like a cello, a violin, um, a French horn, okay. say, who are starting the song. They're all coming in at the same time. If they're all coming in at the same time, who's to say what is the melody, right? Well, people would argue, well, the melody is like... Um, um, Cat Stevens, Moonshadow. I'm being followed by a moonshadow, moonshadow, moonshadow. Well, when I'm writing or even listening to a song, I don't hear that one first. I'll be like, I'm being followed by a moonshadow, moonshadow, moonshadow. Like I'll hear the, I hear the echo as strong as the melody. And if there's nothing to choose from, I'll just, I'll pick one out of the air. So it's like you think almost in like these kind of sonic layers. Definitely. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think in sonic layers, it's always layered. And not just sonic, but verbal layers too. Like this song, 10 times I'm talking over. It's, 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 it's very actually, I'm going Cat Stevens, very father and son. Like there, you know, there's two, there can be more than, one right thing, you know, saying something at the same time. But I was about to make a joke and say, maybe I'm just contrary. <laughs> I'm just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> Do you, it's interesting because I think that the, like when you, your, your inner monologue throughout the day, is it kind of similar? Do you have, I'm not asking you if you're crazy, Heather. I'm asking you if you have like different. I just taken, 
my entire life to figure out that I just might have an attention deficit situation. Really? Just now? I, I mean, I'm not kidding. It wasn't until I had my own kid or really because Michael and I are the same. I'll be like, I'll be talking to our daughter about something very important that we both think is very important. And we decided we're going to talk to her about this. Okay. So, okay. This is very important to me. And so Willie, I want you, Hey, will you want to go swimming? Like, I mean, we'll just, I'm like, Michael, like, but I do it to him. So it's only been highlighted. Nice. <laughs> it's only been highlighted because I see we I see myself in him so much. We're yeah, it's weird. But I think it was being a becoming a parent and realizing that I being um, multitasking for myself was a challenge enough. But I'm multitasking for three of us and two cats. And I'm not very good at it. And I have friends who have four kids and they are killing it. They're just like, and still able to, you know, have a part-time job that they love or a full-time job that they love, or not even that, but, but making it to all the different colleges and making sure they have their entrance essays done. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God our kid is in middle school. And it's only one. I don't know how people do it. So, yeah. Hence, it takes five years for me to ha- put a record together. <laughs> Not that the ideas aren't fun. all there. Just, so, yeah. So, on a, any daily basis, I'm going a mile a minute. I'm thinking about everything outside of this house. I'm thinking about some starving three-year-old in Syria. I literally am... Just I spend my day bleeding and trying to be happy at the same time. Not like not, I'm not depressed. It's, not, it's just that I'm always sad and scared for the world and thinking about the world and and feeling helpless about it. And the only way I can do anything about it is to love that kid in front of me, that man beside me, and maybe write down some ideas and hope that other people people you know it'll resonate to even a couple people yeah to be an artist is to be a kind of open wound of a person i think probably you're always feeling stuff right it sucks yeah i mean oh i feel it's not even a vanity thing it's just like it sucks it sucks it's constant and michael he i mean he worries about me all the time he's just like has you know and i'm like but this is it's just who i am like i i don't want to be anybody else but i don't i do sometimes feel a little trapped in it and the only way i can feel better is by yeah by emoting i feel that way too i feel like we are that makes us um almost like like we can't get am we're always going to be fm because AM feels really kind of calm and and very like all the world. AM is very safe. Safe, right? Yeah, it's very edited, maybe. Yeah, FM's edgier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. Oh, hey, wait! How did you get that? How did you get that? You're holding up my book. Uh, 
I haven't read this. I didn't know. I remember um, Michael telling me that he had, I mean, he has many interviews, many podcasts, many very important people talking to him. And you in particular was one, I remember when he did it and he, um, he had to go like into this, we were in these apartments and he had to go find a corner in a room where he could get like privacy. And it was very, very funny. He was very frustrated, but he was, came out just so happy and so in love with you. And then, you know, six years later, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, you'll really, you'll really like this guy, blah, 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 blah. And, and then he's like, um, yeah, you wrote a, just half an hour ago. He's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, oh, yeah, Heather, you're going to love him. And now he's like remembering it all. He's the one when I was in that room. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then he's like, he wrote a book. I'm like, he wrote a book? Oh, my gosh. He's like, yeah. I said, what's it called? He's like, I'll get it for you. It's in this, just go over it. Cause I thought it was going to be on the phone. Hmm. I wonder what kind of filter we could put on here. Um, but uh, the stack of his important books are in that corner behind Dylan there on the other side of the wall. And um, he said, walk over there and you'll see it. But since I was zooming, he oh. just put it to me here before he left the room. You guys are far too sweet. That's really kind of you to be holding that up. Is this a stage name or is your last name really green? It really is green. That'd That's be a terrible very... stage name. Well, <laughs> you know what would be a terrible stage name? Horton. No, it's a great stage name. Horton, here's a who. And people ask me that. Is that Heather Horton? Is is that a stage name? I'm like, who would name theirself after an elephant? Well, I guess I would. I love elephants. No, but it's alliterative because it's it sounds great. But green says so <laughs> many more things. You like that? It should be uh, Melon Camp. <laughs> I don't know. Or don't Cougar. Know. Speak. Green Cougar. Alex I have some friends who call green me the Cougar. Reverend. I have friends who call me the Reverend because of Al Green. Oh! <gasps> yeah. Do they say yeah. the Reverend or do they say the Rev? Some people will call me, a few people will call me. The would be Al Sharpton, yeah. So it's, yeah, now that would be the that rev, but yeah. I'm so far from a Reverend Heather, it's insane. Oh, we should join the Reverend Horton Heat. I like the Reverend Horton Heat. Um, you know what? By the way, thank you for such the kindest words. You're so nice. And I love Michael, too. And I, I got into Michael when I was 19. So I really have been like... For the first album, like I've been on the journey with him, and he's just a remarkable person. And what a conversation! He he's amazing. Um, he's, the feeling was very mutual. He's very he's he's a he's literally an open book, and just and I am too. Um, which is how we became best friends. We had very a very sh small window to find each other and we did it quickly um because we're both very distracted too and he was very distracted at the time um but I, um but because he was really honest with me and I knew he was honest with me he wasn't honest with the rest of the world so much and not with himself while he's out in that world but for whatever reason we felt safe with each other to be very honest very fast, very open. And 
now he's very open before he would be open to people open storytelling wise when he was drinking. And now he's very, he's so much more open talking sober. So, um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a fascinating read. I have, you know, I haven't read his book. I'll probably read your book before I read his book. No, read his book before mine. I know all the stories. (laughs) I know all of them, all of them. And so, I think like reading them makes them more real. If I know that my daughter could read the book or like some of my daughter's friends, parents are reading the book and some of the stories about me in there are are not take, not like for this town. Okay. Fair. Yeah. The the small conservative. Yeah. (laughs) Michael told me that when he's playing a song, when he's writing, um, that sometimes I have this image of you. I can't remember how you said it. Like you'll poke your head in and and offer an opinion. <laughs> is that is that how it goes for for both ways? And it's no, because um, it's very rare that he is that he hears what I'm doing because he's in the studio and it's the speakers and they're loud so I can hear stuff. And, and he, um, Oh my gosh, it's so cute. Since he was very little, it's kind of like he's, he says, and this is probably, he'll, he'll be embarrassed, but I don't care. He's trying to like woo me. Like he'll play, you know, and he'll be like, so maybe, and want me to be like, Oh, I love that. Like yesterday I heard him, playing something really loud on his phone. I'm like, is he playing that loud so I can hear that? And just play it. I'm like, so I'm like, what's that you're playing, honey? And, and, and I just, it was so finished that I couldn't believe that it was something new that I, I, and I hadn't heard him. He must've just done it one day. And, and he's like, why? I go, I I like it. I really like it. He's like, really? Yeah. So, I mean, he doesn't need anyone to really validate him. I mean, we all do. But he's just, I tell, it doesn't matter. He's the greatest writer in the world. And I, that's his, that's what, you're the greatest writer in the world. So he's, he isn't afraid when I tell him I like something or don't like something. But it's more like, I like everything he does. But when he does, um, for instance, a vocal that that I find um, is not authentic, that's when I will really say it. I'll be, uh-uh, I don't believe you. Do it again. And then I feel all strong and like I really helped. And um, he always does a better take, but it's kind of that way. Or like if he says something he doesn't like when I when I analyze the thing, the things he's saying, because that is, it's not to be touched really. Mm-hmm. You can't touch someone's words. You know, I don't like that. Um, at least I don't like to touch his words, but, um, but certain themes and certain like melodies, I'll be like, don't let that sound like, and he's like, Doop. does that sound like, Oh no. And then he'll like go and reconstruct <laughs> But it's more like I offer like, babe, I want to make me, you know, make me cry. Make me cry instead. Don't. Yeah. Don't be jive. No pressure, though. Make me cry. That's like you're saying go deeper. 
You got to oh, go and deep, he'll, right? And he'll go to the challenge. He'll, he'll do it. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you've done it too. And I think that, you know, this is your third record. And in terms of like, you know, you're, you're moving from strength to strength. And what I love about this album, and I, I think more so than the others, this might be why I like it, is it more is because it feels to me like it more is, is wrong. I mean, it's really, really, I think your strongest work because it feels like there's a, a beginning, a middle and an end. This is this album feels like a cycle, like it's telling a story. Um, and the last song is a stone cold, just a gut punch. It's so good. But it opens the way it opens. I wouldn't pick any other song to open this album. The sequencing is perfect. Um, was that was I know it's such an inside baseball question, but like, was that a tricky order? It was. I thought it was going to be tricky. And the only thing that we. We because I needed him when I get into a box of like. When I'm stuck. I'm just stuck and I don't even care anymore. Um, I needed to know if it was going to be after all this time or I don't like your children. It was going to be one, two or one, two. The rest of the record was figured out. And um, he really helped me a lot. We both, we went back and forth. We AB'd and, um, and pros and cons to the two a lot. And you think they're just two like upbeat songs, you know, how hard could it be? But there's a lot of thought that went into those first two songs and you'd never know, but the rest came very easy. I just knew it was just, that was how it was going to flow. I knew where it was going to go and that would be Lynn's song. So that was the only way it could go, but all the other story. Yeah. It just fit in that way. Those two, it could have gone either way. But it was important, which was first. So I think what I'm picking up on with this album is that it seems like you're swinging a lot freer, um, but the swings are mightier and freer. And also, you have an amazing sense of humor and you're so filled with personality. And I feel like that's really reflected in the songs now, you know? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm more humor probably for sure. There yeah. wasn't humor in the first, in the... <laughs> First two records. No. <laughs> he went, there's only one song, and that was F.U. in the last record. <laughs> that was humorous. The rest, there's no no humor to be had. No. No. Wheelchair Man is um, off the, Mrs. Murphy's, it's probably one of the darkest songs that I've ever written. It's ever. dark. It's dark. It's, it's as dark as it gets. And I meant every syllable and every harmony means something. Talk about her. I, I used my harmonies in there to really paint a suicide. Oh, literally a suicide in there. So it was, yeah. And so it's not a real, like, I'm thinking about my record release coming up in a few weeks <laughs> like as opposed to the last show we just did with Michael which was like people up and dancing at the same club right Fitzgerald people are, and I'm like I'm gonna make an announcement at the beginning this is not a dancing show 
there will be no dancing. Get out the razor blade. No, but there will <laughs> there'll, there will be plenty of humor. But yeah. But you're, it's a very tricky balance to be the humor and the darkness, who I think are good friends. I mean, they're on the same mask, right? The drama. Who's talking? You're probably an expert in that that juxtaposition. Are I you mean, not? I, look, you're kind to say that. But your life I, to that. I think. They need each other, right? I think because because without one, you wouldn't know that you had the other or were not having the other. And so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. It has yeah. to be, but you, but yeah. I think you do such a brilliant job of, of balancing that. And, um, you it's know, safe. yeah, I love that's I, deliberate. I love, well, and I don't think it's deliberate and maybe, maybe subconscious, maybe I felt I needed to do that more on this one, but I just was more free. So I think that's why I could, I could hit more space. Yeah, lyrically, it seems the writing is freer, right? Definitely. More chances. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I have nothing. I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to gain or lose by writing stories and telling them exactly how I want to tell them. So, yeah, you just say more things. You have more of a balance then, for sure. It's just healthier. It's healthier for everybody. Yeah. What about in your real life, like balancing the practicalities of domesticity and parenthood with having a sense of humor? I mean, I would imagine it makes it, oh, you're, you're rolling your eyes. like you can't. <laughs> I didn't know. My, oh my God, Alex, as soon as I could walk, I was like, and could see people younger than me. I couldn't wait to be a teacher or a mommy, or I just, the whole idea of it. And then, and then I just, nothing was working. Like none of these sober guys were working for me. I needed an alcoholic, um, (laughs) depressed alcoholic, uh, rock star. Uh, so no, um, it's not my bag. It's not my calling to, it was my calling to be a mom. I, I, I think maybe because I was adopted and because I grew up not knowing anyone that was like me at all. My siblings were all very different than me. They were all born to my parents and I am very, I'm just the polar opposite and no one looked like me and none of that. So I think maybe that's part of it. Just like in having feeling that connection, you know, everybody seemed to have that connection with their parents with you're lucky you're adopted. I feel like I'm adopted, but they still had a connection. You know, they still had this thing. My parents knew what my siblings were thinking all the time at at all times to a degree. They had no clue what to do or think of me. And um, with our daughter, I mean, I feel like I could see what's going on, you know, before she does. I am very connected to her and and I'm very connected to Michael. But the whole, um, not even responsibility, but the whole worry, it's not even responsibility. It's that terror worry of, of the unknown. For this child, this human, and um, 
that there's just there. I can't the dumbest is, you know, I'm doing dishes and laundry all day. It's just the three of us. I don't know how it happens. Like I said, my friends, they have, you know, four to six kids. And I'm just, I don't know where the time goes. I don't know what happens. So I'm just, I'm entrenched in all of that cleaning. Literally, I did dishes for an hour and a half this morning. I know there are three of us. Our dishwasher is broken. So literally, so, so I am. And then the laundry and then the clean house after, you know, she goes to school. It's just, it's like our house is upside down. And then it's been the whole, I have to put it all together to be able to be at peace and think. And then, and then before you know it, yeah, she's home. And so, yeah, it's, that's my day in, day out. So there's the, it's not OCD, but it's definitely, you know, attention deficit. I see and I feel constantly. So to go here and get this done is, or this, or this takes a lot of energy. And at the same time, I'm trying to be so, I don't, I don't even have to try. I'm ever present for both Michael and Willie. So I'm just there. And then I don't really have it's not even again, it sounds like a pity party. It's just kind of how it it has ended up right here. I'm trying to figure out how to um how to carve out more of the time as a you know housewife mom artist for that because it's all consuming. So mm. to answer your question, I'm all consumed by all of everything else. It is a miracle that I even got this record done. But your life is about balance. I mean being a mom, being an artist, writing about the darkness, but being, but also having the humor, knowing your, your birth family and your adopted family, like you, that you have, cause it sounds like you're in touch with both sides of, of that to a degree. Um, so you're always sort of have a foot in each camp of these places. So, um, that's, that's a demand. I mean, that's a demanding thing for a psyche, for a person. Yeah. 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 And and I think I'm just not very good at it. I'm just no, I think you are good at it. Heather, my my point is that you're very good at it. I just agree to disagree. <laughs> I think that you make a fine psychologist. I gotta tell you, I love your record. And um I was wondering about you because I had the last record and I was like, where is she? And so then it popped up on my radar and I have just devoured it. I think, I mean, Mazel for a beautiful album. Thank you so much. It means a lot coming from you. Well, there you go. Heather Lynn Horton, she's the best. What can I say? Her husband, Michael McDermott, also the best. If you have a chance, go back a couple of years into our archives and find the episode that we did with him. That's a great one. Michael's awesome. Heather's awesome. They should have a sitcom. There should be a sitcom 
based on the daily exploits of the McDermott's. You know, both parents are musicians. They have a daughter who also plays music. Could be fun. What could it be called? It could be called, I don't know, Making Things Happen with the McDermott's. I'd watch it. I'd, I'd beg them for a cameo. Let me make a cameo. I'll be the handyman next door who kind of schneiders his way in and freeloads breakfast. Isn't that what Schneider used to do? I don't totally remember that. I know he had a mustache and a full-time tool belt. He was never seen without the tool belt. Oh, enough of that. Get Heather's album. Get me to the nunnery. Get you to a record store. Pick it up. Buy it. Buy a couple of copies. You're going to hear it, and you're going to go, you know what? i got to get a copy for all my friends. So when you're there, save yourself a trip. Buy a bunch of copies. You'll be so happy that you did. HeatherHortonMusic.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with Heather. BombshellRadio.com is where to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. You can follow me on what's left of Twitter at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. And tell all your friends, by the way, that I have a new book out on Halloween. The Adventure Teen All-Stars hits shelves on Halloween. Why Halloween? Well, two reasons. One, it's my favorite holiday. I know it's not really a holiday, but for me, I think of it that way. I take that day off. And I do scary things. What? I don't know what that means. I have no clue what I'm talking about. I just like Halloween. And number two, why it's going to be released on Halloween, is because in the book, there's a water demon sleeping at the bottom of a pond. And when it wakes up, it's supposed to destroy the town. The question is, will it? Spoiler alert. There is no spoiler alert. I'm not going to tell you. you gotta got to read it to find out. The Adventure Teen All-Stars will be available on October 31st, but you can pre-order it now wherever you pre-order books. Let's close the show with Hang on a Second. We're not going to close the show with Hang on a Second. My producer is telling me not to close the show yet, because what? What did I do? I screwed up. Uh Uh-oh. Hang on. I screwed up. My producer is flashing me a note from the booth. I'm reading it. Uh, Oh, I did forget to say that, didn't I? The reason why we have producers in the first place, like I have here with Julie Yamamoto, who, by the way, always keeps me in check cheerfully, um, is because they're always right. And Julie pointed out, I said this is Heather's second album, but it's not. Her first album, Postcard Saturdays, second one, Don't Mess With Mrs. Murphy, third one, Get Me To The Nunnery. Boom, there you go. How did I do, Julie? Are you happy? No, you're not happy. Why? What did I do? I screwed something else up, didn't I? Yeah, that's what I said. What have I been saying? Get me to a nunnery. I've been saying the? Okay. It's not get me to the nunnery. It's get me to a nunnery. Do I not know Shakespeare? My God. Get me to a nunnery is the name of the album. Did I get anything right this show at all? I don't know. I made a lot of mistakes, but you know what? My heart is full of love for this album. Get me to a nunnery. All right. Now we're back on track. You are correct, Julie. That has now been remedied. And now we can close the show. 
Let's close the show with a full listen to 10 times from Heather Lynn Horton's brand new marvelous album, Get Me to a Nunnery. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to the very mistake-filled Stereo Embers the Podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. Bombshell Radio.